Morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you here. My name's Dan, and I'm the pastor here, here at Cornerstone. Let's turn to uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. And of course, we're still working through our series on Mark, and uh, we, we will be done. There is an end in sight, okay? The end is going to be next April, Easter, okay? So, so uh, you know, I, I really hope that you're still holding on for the ride and uh, hopefully seeing Jesus like maybe you've never seen him before. But, uh, but it's, so, it's so good for our souls to slow down and to look clearly at what Scripture says and not have to race on to the next thing. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're maybe getting weary in the process, then hold on and read, read more and let God uh, bring his word uh, really to life in your own life. That's, that's my prayer. But Mark chapter 7 verse 31 says this, Then Jesus left, left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region, into the region of the Decapolis. So Jesus has just left the region where he was last week, speaking to the Syrophoenician woman, and, and remember that he was on retreat with his friends, with, with the members, members of the disciples. And, and remember that in the middle of the retreat, he heard a resounding hammering on the door. He opens it, and there's a Syrophoenician woman there who, who asked him to heal her daughter who, who, um, who was possessed by an evil spirit. And at that moment in time, we got an insight into Jesus' priority that his focus, his main focus, is to build um, his reign here on earth, starting with these 12 limited sinful men who were there with him. But he also took time to ask this woman to lean into what he was doing, and he invited her to exercise her faith. And, and so she had this wonderful insight into the reign of Christ and... and um, yeah, to the kingdom of Christ really being built there in that room. And she also learned that Jesus loves bold faith that's willing to thump on Jesus' door and to interrupt whatever he may be doing. And so for us, Jesus also longs for you to have the boldness to hammer on the door and say, Jesus, I want your attention. You have to listen to me right now. Because it's as we, as, as we have the boldness to, to um, walk up to the door and to hammer on, hammer on it, that we realize that we were never interrupting him in the first place. That this was what he wanted all along. He was waiting for you. He was waiting for her. This is what he wants. And so now he's left that region, and now he heads back, but he doesn't go back the way that he came. Instead, he takes the long way round. And you, you can see that since he took the long way round, that he had the opportunity to feed 4,000 Gentiles and to have 12 man-sized baskets of bread left over, like we heard a couple of weeks ago. But Right before this miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, he stops off in the region of the 10 towns or the Decapolis. And as he's there, he meets a group of people who have something on their mind. 
Mark chapter 7, verse 32 says this. There were some people then there, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he, he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and he touched the man, man, man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and, and, with, and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephathah which means be opened. Verse 35, at this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly, which I would love that to happen to me. So you can keep praying. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, first of all, like the four friends who dropped their friend through the roof, and like the Syrophoenician woman of last week, here are friends acting for their friend who is helpless. Okay, they are, they are acting for him. And that's also what our calling is. If you're a follower of Christ here, that your job is to act on behalf of your friends who are helpless and to lead, 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 lead them to Christ in prayer. We, we read in Ephesians 6 verse 18 that we are to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, keep on praying for all of God's people. Now, this man's problem was actually twofold. First, he was deaf, and secondly, he could hardly talk. He spoke with difficulty. And it's not hard for us to m maybe imagine how these, these things were linked. He wasn't able to hear, and he wasn't able to speak. And then in verse 33, we see that, we see that Jesus gets him off on his own, away from his friends, and away from the crowd. And that's really true of us, right? Is that often when, when Christ wants to do work in our life, it's not in the context of the crowd. He wants us on our own. He wants us, just us and him, just me and Christ, just you and Christ. And yes, he calls us into community and there's no such thing as a solo faith. You know, we understand that what you are doing right now Meeting in church on a Sunday morning, being the church meeting in one place, this is the right thing because there's no such thing as faith, as solo faith. But he also calls us away from the crowd. He calls us on our own because that's where he does the real deep work of the soul, far away from the chatter and the noise and the stuff of life. This is why in Mark 6.32, he, he, he led those closest to him away from the crowd and right over the lake into a lonely place. And that's also why, in, why he traveled 40 miles, leaving the region where, where he was up into Tyre in Mark 7, verse 24. And that's why he also gets this bloke on his own, because so much of growth takes place in the secret place. Matthew 6, verse 6 says this, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. That's Matthew 6, 6. Then it says, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
So how are you doing with that secret room? What is your secret room like? Is there one set of is there one one is is there one set of footprints walking in and out of there regularly, you know, one day after another, week after another, month after another? Or is it looking rather dusty? Is the hinge rather creaky because that secret room isn't used much? He then places his hands on this man. Last week we saw how Jesus can heal from a distance, but now he's, he's really doing the hands-on thing. So much so, okay, and I don't think we would ever do this on a Sunday morning, but you know, if I was ever to pray for you, I usually ask, can I put my hand on your shoulder? And you, you usually tell me, yes, that's okay, and then I pray for you. But Jesus gives this guy a wet willy. He sticks his fingers in the guy's ear. Now, sometimes we can view Jesus as a bit of a Purell, obsessed, neat freak. You know, he was just, you know, he's always uh, shiny and nice, and his clothes are always nice and white in the movies and stuff. But as we read through Mark, what I hope you're seeing is a bit of a different view of our Lord and Savior. Because, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in Mark 7 19, Jesus talks about poo. And then here we have Jesus sticking his finger inside someone's ear and then spitting on his finger and putting his finger on this man's tongue. Now, for you, maybe you think, well, that's rather gross. I hope that never happens to me and I would join you with that. But we have to understand what Jesus is actually doing here. He's reassuring a person who cannot hear and so he cannot hear anything that Jesus is saying at that moment. He's reassuring a man within his limitations that he's there and he's doing something. And so as that man who could not hear felt Jesus' fingers inside his ears, he was reassured that something was happening. And as he saw Jesus spit on his finger and put his finger on the tongue of that man, one commentator said that, that Jesus um, really had the confidence of that man at that moment because he sees that Jesus is actually involved in the situation which he finds himself in. Jesus cares. And then as we read on, we see that Jesus looks up to heaven like, like he did in the feeding of the 5,000, but instead of thanking God like he did in Alfresco 5,000, he sighs. And we read that it was, a re- it, was, it was a really deep sigh. You might say it was a groan. And it was the same kind of groan that we read in Romans 8, verse 23. And if you want to turn there, feel free. Romans 8, verse 23, which says this. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown, there it is again inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through what wordless groans. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let's say amen. And what we see there is that all of creation is groaning longing for what was broken, that it may be restored. And we also see that we groan as we wait for, for, for the redemption of us, of, of, you know, of us and our weakness and our frailty. And we see that, frankly, we're falling apart at the seams and we long for something else. We long for something else. And so the best kind of praying the praying that reaches God's ears and the prayer and the kind of prayer that moves God's heart and the kind of prayer that moves God's hand has an aspect to it of groaning. We don't just groan because we've run out of words and we don't know what to say. We, we groan because in groaning, we allow Almighty God to groan through us. We feel His heart. There are some things that we aren't able to put into words. And so we groan. And as we groan, we are told in the scripture that the Holy Spirit takes our groans and he translates them. He interprets them. And that's why I say that these kind of prayers are the best kind of prayers. It's not just the second rank prayers. It's the best kind of prayers are these groaning prayers. And so, so at this moment, it's wonderful because Jesus joins creation. He joins us and he joins the Holy Spirit in groaning. He could see that, that what this man was suffering from wasn't just something sad, maybe something unfortunate. But he could see that the fall of humanity was represented in this guy. He could see yeah, the brokenness in the fact that he couldn't hear and that he really found it hard speaking. And so Jesus longed with him for restoration. And what happened next is that Jesus did what we will one day all experience, what he will do in the entire universe. He said, he said right at the Right at the beginning of the Bible, he said, let there be light at the creation of the world. And so here he commands, be, be opened. And in saying that, he recreates this man's universe. He says, Ephatha, be opened. Se 7 verse 35 says this, at this, at, at saying those words, this man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. And so here we see that Jesus's words of life are powerful. They are effective. They are filled with might. We read in Isaiah 55 verse 11, it says this. Isaiah 55 verse 11, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and it will, it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's a promise from Almighty God that his word is mighty. And only Jesus can, can, can raise, raise to life what was dead 
and he chooses to do it through speaking, through the word. It's only Jesus who can, um, who can make out of nothing ex nihilo, something, as we read in 2 Peter 3 verse 5, long ago by God's words, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water. And so when Jesus healed this man by the word of his mouth, he was accessing that same uh, creative resource really deep within him that made this universe. And for me, what, uh, what I've just read really gives me hope because my hope as a stutterer is for restoration. My hope is, is, for, is that whatever I want to say, I can say it. Right now, I don't know what it's f- like, you know, to be free to verbalize whatever I want. I have to use tricks. I have to use, you know, technology to help me, as, as uh, you understand. And whenever I speak about it, for some reason, it gets worse. So I should probably never mention it. But last week was a tough Sunday. I found it hard those words weren't happening like they should. But I know that one day I will be healed. Whether it's, on, whether it's now on this side of Christ's return or on the other side of Christ's return, I know that one day that healing will happen. But for now, my job is to trust him and to know that I serve a God who recreates through his words. So while I wait for this eventual recreation and this eventual restoration, what is my job? And also I'm asking you, as you wait for whatever your thing is, what is your job? Number one is to keep praying, groaning, wordless prayers, longing for the restoration of the world as the Holy Spirit takes these sighs and these groans and he interprets them. And number two is to live for Christ. James 1 says to us that we are to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that that is so prevalent and humbly, humbly accept the word planted within you which is able to save you. That's our job as we wait for restoration. Let's move on. Now we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Mark chapter 8, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought, brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, well, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. And so straight away, you'll see why why I've chosen this Mark 7 passage and this Mark 8 passage for one sermon, because there are a number of points Um, where they look the same. 
First of all, we see friends who take it upon themselves, this responsibility to bring their, their friend to Christ. Secondly, we see this person has an obvious need. This time, uh, it's that he can't see, he's blind. Thirdly, these friends, they ask Jesus that he would lay his hands on them. And fourthly, Jesus takes him away from the crowd and... and here we read in the Mark 8 passage that he leads him outside of the village. And so I can imagine Jesus leading him by his hand. And, and lastly, the healing involves spit being applied to the necessary area. So this is how the passages are linked. And so when we see this happening, when we see one passage that looks like another passage, we have to ask why. And the reason why is because we're seeing yet another Markan sandwich. Now, I've talked about Markan sandwiches before, which is here's A, or here's the bread, here's the bread, in the middle is the meat. And so here we have, have a piece of bread, which is the Mark 7 passage, and a piece of bread, which is the Mark 8 passage. So we have to ask, what is the meat that's lodged in between the Mark 7 and the Mark 8 passage? What happens in between these two? And the answer is... Which, which you can see if you read in your Bible, that it's the feeding of the 4,000, and it's the request of, of the Pharisees to receive a sign from heaven, which you can read in chapter 8, verse 11. And so what Mark is saying as we read through this Mark and Sandwich is he's saying, live like this, not like that. He's, he's showing us an important spiritual lesson by showing some people who were doing it right and some people who were doing it wrong. And so what is it exactly that Mark is contrasting here? Well, on the one hand, which are the pieces of bread, we have these two people who came to Jesus in faith. And then on the other hand, we, we see the Pharisees who were faithless. For them, the miracles weren't enough. They wanted a massive neon sign from heaven itself um, to show them that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, the one hand, you have these simple folk who met Jesus and allowed themselves to be truly touched and truly transformed. And then on the other side, you had the religious know-it-alls who would never be touched because of their lack of faith. Nothing was ever going to be enough to convince them. Therefore, they would remain in their state of lack of faith for the rest of their life. And so what Mark's doing here is that he's forcing his readers, those Christians in Rome, to either put themselves into one camp or, or in the second camp. And as we read this as well, is that what the Holy Spirit's saying to us through, through the structure of Mark, which is amazing, right, is that God can speak not only through the words of the Bible, but how it's structured itself. And what, and what God's saying to us is that you have to choose. Will you live a life of faith? Or will you live a life unmoved? Will you be someone for whom there, is, there will never be enough reason to, to really believe that Jesus is the Messiah? You've heard the, yeah, the stories and the accounts. Folks have shared with you how maybe they came to Christ, how he's worked miraculously in their lives, but still you are unmoved. You are untouched. Or are you someone who allows Jesus to get his hands on you and to prod 
and to poke and to do that deep work inside you there in the quiet place, just you and him. Are you aware that you cannot change yourself, that you need someone outside of you to reach inside you? Are you allowing Jesus to groan into life, this new life within you? Have you heard Jesus say these words, Ephatha, be opened into your locked, padlocked heart? Because you're either one or the other. There is no fence sitting here. There's no third option. And so that's why we have this Mark and sandwich. But really, in spite of, of, of the way that this Mark 7 passage and the Mark 8 passage look alike, in Mark 8 verse 23, we actually see something new. We see what looks like a failure to heal. You see, because up until now, Christ has always succeeded first time. Uh, you know, that um, lady in the crowd who reached out and she touched his hem. She was healed right there and then. Uh, you know, we see Jairus' daughter who was raised with a word. You know, we see that guy um, who was uh, living in the tombstones. He was released, he was freed right away. But here we see that healing doesn't happen straight away, not full healing. So really, it's some sort of a publicity nightmare in the, in, nightmare in the making. Now, you may have heard of the ShamWow. Have you heard of the ShamWow? You remember the ShamWow? Yeah, okay. Well, the ShamWow wouldn't be the ShamWow if it took two or three wipes to wipe up that coke that you spilt. The ShamWow is the ShamWow because it worked the first time. And then we think of the slap chop. You know, and the slap chop wouldn't, wouldn't be the slap chop if it took minutes and minutes and minutes for you to chop up whatever it was. It had to be done bang, 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 over. That's why it, su it's su it succeeds. No one's impressed with the hole in two. You're impressed with the hole in one. No one goes home saying, oh, it was such a great day there on the mini putt course. I, I had a hole in two. No, you leap and you get excited when, against all odds, you accidentally hit it into the hole in one. It's at that moment that you feel like you're a legend. But here we see Jesus only partially healing the first time round. And then he comes around for a second pass and he finally nails it. So what's up with that? Well, we have to remember that Mark is showing us what the life of faith looks like. He's showing us um, what, it, what it looks like through these men, and he's showing it what it really doesn't look like through these Pharisees. And so here, in the second passage of Mark 8, we learn an incredible lesson. We learn that the life of faith is a process. It's a journey. You see, Right up until Christ met this man, he had nothing. He could see nothing. But now a miracle had happened, and he could see tree-like people walking around. It was, it was absolutely amazing. His life was absolutely um, transformed. That what was once black was now full of shapes and wonderful colors like he'd never seen before. And that's like us, right? 
is that first is that, is that when we first meet meet Christ, uh, He lays His hands on us. We're alive. It's exciting. We see and we breathe and we see and we speak and we can hear and 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 we say this is what living looks like. We we are amazed by you know the colors and the shapes and the things that we see that we could never see before. But then Jesus comes back to us and he says, that's not all there is. He says, there's more. You have to press into me even more. You have to lean in. You have to allow me to, you know, to never stop laying my hands on you and to leading you into greater and greater healing. Because being saved isn't a one-time deal. Being saved is a process. It's a journey. It's a lifestyle. It's a life. Now, we, we have a number of young kids in our congregation, and we have some who are en route. But no mum pops out a baby and then says, well, that's it, you're on your own now. If that ever happens, something's really wrong. But when the child's born, are we seeing a, um, a life... Like, are we seeing 100% life there? And the answer is yes. It is a complete life. But is it a full life? And the answer is no. It's not yet a full life because of all these experiences which will happen. Because even after the baby's born, there is still growth, right? We all understand that. That, that, that young one who's just minutes old, he or she is 100% alive but he or she can experience more life. You know, it was Christ himself who said, I have come that they may have life and have it what? More abundantly. Have it to the full. And that's why we need to move away from this narrative that says, once I've prayed a prayer, I'm okay forever and ever. Instead, we need to replace that with a new narrative that this is the start of the rest of my life. Faith in Christ is less about that one moment and it's more about a journey. What would have happened if this man had headed back after the first, um, after that first moment and he went home and he, he went to his friends and he said, you know what, I'm able to see. And his friends would have been excited for him. They'd have been chuffed. They'd have been happy for him. They would have seen how he's no longer walking into walls. They would have seen how he can make his way around his home, you know, without a cane. But don't you think that people would have been a little concerned if he couldn't really tell people apart because they all look like trees? Wouldn't his wife have been a little concerned if he went up and good-naturedly slapped the wrong lady on the butt? Okay? His, he, this man was now able to see. He was no longer blind. But his healing wasn't full. There was still work to be done. And so in verse 25, Jesus puts his hands on this man a second time, and finally his eyes were opened and he could see clearly. What about you? Maybe you, you can remember praying that prayer when you were a kid, that moment when as a child you invited Jesus into your heart. But what's happened since then? What growth has happened? What journeys has Jesus led you on? There are too many of us 
who are, who are happy with being little spiritual babies still nursing. But God has more for us. He wants us mature. In the book of Philippians 1 verse 6, we are told that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So how, how, but, but how are we to mature? How are we to grow? And the answer is by keeping on going through hard times. That's how. There's no shortcut. In Philippians 5 verse 3, we, we read this, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in us through the Holy Spirit who, who has been given to us. Amen. Suffering, suffering leads to perseverance and perseverance leads leads to character and character hope so if you want hope there's a process there and you have to go through it and often god uses a crisis moment in our lives to draw us into in, in, into a deeper walk with him my crisis moment happened when i was maybe 22 years old i was raised in the church i loved the lord ever since i was a kid and then I went through, through a time of wandering at university. I longed for my own path, not only the path of, of my mum and dad. And so I started to live a life um, really of a hypocrite. I went out on the Saturday night, and then I came into church Sunday morning smelling like an ashtray, worshipping God. That was my life. And I had a great time. The... But, and I, I don't mean I had a great time. It was fun, but it was not, not a good time. But what I did in that time is that I learned to live with a troubled conscience. I learned how to manage it. I, I, I learned how to function even though my conscience was always troubling me. You see, I was able to see Jesus, Jesus had already touched me, but I still had blind spots in my life. I couldn't see clearly and so it took God leading me away from home on my own, there to a mission trip on this ship, the Logos 2, and I should not have been a missionary. I was the worst missionary in the history of missions, I would imagine, at that point in time. I was horrendous. And yet he led me there because he needed to show me that all that I needed was him. He led me to a place where where now I can say that since that moment, all I've wanted is him and to serve him with everything that I have. It was a moment of change. It was a crisis moment. It was a moment that settled things in my heart forever. It was this moment that I started to see truly clearly. And so even though my life has been far from perfect and I'm a sinner and, and I make myself sick with my sins, but what I know is that all that matters to me is fulfilling the purpose that God made me for and that Jesus saved me for. That's all that matters in my life. Nothing else is near it. Because, you know, the Lord, he's, he, he wants us not just saved, he wants us sanctified. He, 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 
He wants us to grow in our gifts for his sake. He wants us to keep on coming back to him and saying, show me more, heal me more, show me more. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we need to let him have access to our deepest selves so that we can be transformed. And how is it that we are, we are changed, we are transformed? We are transformed by looking at Christ. We, 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 we look at him and his glory. And, in, in, and at that moment that we're looking at him and his glory, we are transformed into looking more like him. Now, if you move that, that truth and you bring it back to Mark 8, what we can see is that Jesus has healed us of, of, Jesus healed us of our spiritual blindness. We can now see. We can see shapes. We, we can see colors. But how do we keep on being transformed? By meditating on the glory of Christ. But what happens when the face of Jesus just looks like a tree? What happens when you look at Jesus and he just looks like a tree? Well, it shows that we need more work. We need him to lay his hands on us until we see more and more of the details of his face and his glory. Because it's only as we do this that we resemble him more and more. And my, what I think is that there are many of us who resemble a tree like Jesus. Because all we see is a tree like Jesus, we resemble a tree like Jesus a Minecraft Jesus, a Jesus that's been painted by one of the Impressionists, a vague sort of a Jesus-y face because we're content with where we are, because we're content that we're saved, because we're happy that we're not blind anymore. But if we only see a vague tree like Jesus, then we become a vague tree like Christian, now I, now I came to Canada 14 years ago, and what would have happened if I came out of Ottawa International Airport and I sat on the tarmac and I said, well, I'm home. You know, I've arrived. Here I am in this wonderful country, the second largest country in the world. I've made it. Hello, Canada. And then I sat down and I stayed there. What I would need is for someone, maybe you, to walk up to me and say, no, no, this, this isn't this wonderful country of Canada because you've not seen Young Street. You've not seen Hogsback Falls. You've not seen the Rockies. You've not seen Niagara Falls. You've, you've not seen any of these things. But was I fully in this nation as I sat there on the tarmac outside the airport? The answer is yes. I was 100% in the country. But had I experienced all that this country had? And the answer is no, absolutely not. You see, when we, when, when we choose to follow Christ, a shift happens. We are transformed absolutely. But is, but is all that we're experiencing at that moment, is that all that there is that Christ has for us? And the answer is no. That's why we have to keep asking Christ to lay his hands on us and to say, Lord, you, you need to touch me again. 
That's why we need to be praying Psalm 119, verse 18, which says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. That's why we, we need to be praying Ephesians 1, verse 17, that we keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. We need to pray that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us to believe. Thank you.